Hey, welcome to the past. I'm so pleased you've downloaded this 20th episode of Tales from Tudor Times. This podcast is a companion to my series of romantic suspense books with time travel twists. The first of these novels is Tangled in Tudor Times. By the way, if you haven't picked up Tangled in Tudor Times yet, it's on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. There's so much history that doesn't fit into a novel, and that's where this historical tidbits cast comes in. Like our Tangled in Tudor Times heroine, Bella Salas, these are things you might notice if you're unexpectedly tossed into the 16th century. This episode is Anne of Cleves, the Queen Who Didn't Take. In the last four of these monthly episodes, I've shared that I visited New York City in early December. There, I was lucky enough to see the radical, humorous musical Six, playing on Broadway and written by Lucy Moss and Toby Marlowe. The show is built around the classic British schoolchildren's rhyme that helps students remember what happened to Henry VIII's six wives. Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. In the play, the band of wives remind us that everybody knows that we used to be six wives, but now we're ex-wives. Later they share, all you ever hear and read about is our ex and the way it ended. But a pair doesn't beat a royal flush. You're going to find out how he got unfriended. My luck went farther on that trip. Not only did I get caught up in the drama and craziness of six, I also made it to New York City in time for the final weeks of the sumptuous museum exhibit, The Tudors, Art and Majesty in Renaissance England, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which of course is also known as The Met. Though this exhibit has closed in New York City, you can still find details of it by searching metmuseum.org for exhibitions. And here's something neato. Does anybody still say neato? It's right up there with Keen. That same exhibit is coming to my local FAMSF, that's F-A-M-S-F, or Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. And I can see it again this June of 2023. Yeah, I already got my ticket. In each of these Six Wives episodes, I talk more about how my experiences between the museum exhibit and the show Six dovetail. I share my time as a Six fan with objects I saw at Tudor Art and Majesty, one wife each month. These episodes aren't just straight bios of the queens. Each month I look for something unusual or another way of looking at her or just plain poking my nose into these women's lives. In January, it was Catherine of Aragon. February was about Anne Boleyn. March, Jane Seymour. And who did we say comes into April? You remember, I included it the title. This month's cast focuses on the rejected queen, Anne of Cleves. Here we go. We start off with Anne singing in six, followed up by rejection. Breaking up ain't so hard to do when you're a Tudor king. Anne proceed to hunt for goodies, Finally, there's the Two-Timing Tudor, an excerpt from Tangled in Tudor Times. By the way, the Tudors reigned from 1485 to 1603. When I mention the reign of Queen Elizabeth I's daddy, Henry VIII, I'm talking about the second Tudor ruler, who reigned from 1509 to 1547. This is sometimes called the Henrician era, even though his father was also a Henry VII. When I refer to the Elizabethans or the Elizabethan era, I'm talking about the period between 1558 and 1603, when the last Tudor monarch, Elizabeth I, was on the throne. We begin with Anne singing in six. 
in this musical, Anne reminds the audience of the centuries-old idea that Henry's attitude towards Anne of Cleves was all the artist Hans Holbein's fault, making her look more attractive than she really was. What a shame, yeah, my face, it cost me the crown, so I moved to the house of Holbein in my hometown. What I want to know is, if Henry thought Holbein was an art faker, then why did he continue to employ the artist? Let's follow up with rejection, because breaking up ain't so hard to do when you're a Tudor king. Anne of Cleves was Queen of England for only six months, from January to July 1540. She was the fourth wife of King Henry VIII, that is, until he managed to get their marriage annulled. Hey, let's talk about annulment for a minute. Though the old lyric about Henry's wives goes, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, in fact, Henry was never divorced. His marriages with Catherine of Aragon and Anne of Cleves were actually annulled. And a new-to-me fact, Anne Boleyn's marriage was annulled before she was executed. A divorce would have legally concluded a valid marriage, but an annulment declared that a marriage had never been valid. People interested in Anne looked for specific reasons she didn't take with Henry VIII. Was she so unattractive that he couldn't bear to consummate the marriage? Was it her personality? Did politics change things for the newly married couple? Or had Henry already fallen for his next wife? Okay, one at a time. Was Anne so unattractive that Henry couldn't bear to consummate the marriage? I've certainly heard the stories about Anne's looks. Hans Holbein painted that portrait of her that was sent to Henry. The king was supposed to be over the moon when he saw that portrait. But when she arrived in England, it's thought that he felt the portrait wasn't the real deal, right? I heard that he called her a Flemish mare, meaning she was ugly. The term implied she was large and ungainly, built like a draft horse. Both these stories indicate that looks were critical when it came to Tudor queens. But Henry never said that Anne was ugly. After their first meeting, he said, I like her not. There's a lot of things that could mean. Henry didn't call her a Flemish mare. The term was used as an insulting nickname for her by some members of his court. Was it her personality? There's also a story that Henry disguised himself as a commoner and went to meet Anne before their marriage. It was a chivalry thing. We've talked about Henry and chivalry before in this show. Anne was said to be repulsed by this unknown man, and Henry so affronted that he couldn't bring himself to consummate their marriage once it came about. The story that Henry disguised himself as a commoner and went to meet Anne of Cleves before their marriage is a popular one, but there is little historical evidence to support it. The story first appeared in a memoir written by a courtier named Sir John Harrington, but there is no independent corroboration of his account. Some historians have suggested that Anne's lack of education, social graces, and extreme love of gambling may have made her seem unappealing to Henry, who was accustomed to more refined company. If the heavy gambling rumors are accurate, cards and some ladylike gambling certainly were not unusual. As for lack of education and social graces, if true, would those have been a big drawback for a noble woman of the time? Assuming for the sake of argument that the story is true, it's difficult to say whether these would have been major factors in Henry VIII's decision to annul his marriage to Anne of Cleves. Did the political climate between England and Western German Protestants change so much 
between the time that Anne and Henry were contracted and the time when Anne showed up in England that the marriage was no longer a political necessity? Thomas Cromwell, Henry VIII's chief minister, began negotiation with the Duke of Cleves for a marriage alliance in 1539. Anne's brother, the Duke, was interested in the prospect of an alliance with England as it would provide his small state with powerful backing against potential enemies. Similarly, Henry saw a marriage with a Protestant princess as a way to cement an alliance with the German states and to counterbalance the power of the Catholic Church. The marriage was arranged and the couple wed. However, the alliance did not prove as strategically valuable as Henry had hoped because the Duke of Cleves was unable to provide much military support to England. My vote? Sounds likely. Or had Henry already fallen for his next wife? Young Catherine Howard was appointed as one of Anne's ladies, and she seems to have been hot stuff. It's likely she did attract the king's perpetually roving eye, but there is no definitive evidence that Henry VIII saw Catherine Howard before his marriage to Anne of Cleves was annulled. It is generally believed that Henry did not meet Catherine until after his marriage to Anne had been dissolved. There are a wide variety of suggestions that seem pretty unlikely when it comes to the dissolution of this marriage. There are people that say their marriage was, was consummated, but that Anne didn't seem likely to produce a child, though the marriage was annulled so quickly that that seems extremely unlikely. Reports that Anne didn't know how babies were made, thinking that Henry's kiss and his goodnight sweetheart was sufficient for consummation seems really unlikely. Anne had spent over half her life living in the Duchy of Cleves' ladies' room, which would have been known as the Frauenzimmer. The realities of sex and childbirth were most likely have been discussed there. Politics? Style? Personality? Very likely there were a combination of reasons Anne and Henry didn't take. The true reasons for Henry's decision to annul his marriage to Anne of Cleves remains the subject of debate among historians. But you know the kind of stories I write. If I just had access to an appropriately wired time portal, maybe I could find out the truth. Time to hunt for goodies. Each month I've shared descriptions of objects from the Tudor's Art and Majesty in Renaissance England that was related in some way to the Queen being discussed, either as a possession or an item associated with the particular Queen's times. This month I struck out. I searched by time, type, and names. Henry VIII gave Anne a lot of goodies when their marriage broke up, so I would have guessed that there would be connections, but none of the objects seemed to be directly related to Anne that were in the exhibit, nor did the timing fit. My goal is to give my listeners a physical sense of the queen we're talking about. So instead, I'm sharing a few items that can be linked to Anne, even though they weren't in this exhibit. The Anne of Cleves Cup. This silver gilt cup, which is now in the British Museum, is believed to have been a wedding present to Anne from King Henry VIII. The cup is inscribed with Anne's motto, God send me well to keep. The Anne of Cleves portrait. Well, that's been mentioned, hasn't it, in this, in this podcast. Uh, this portrait of Anne by Hans Holbein the Younger is one of the most famous images of her. The portrait is now in the Louvre Museum in Paris. The Anne of Clean book, Queen. <laughs> The Anne of Cleves Book of Hours. This illuminated manuscript is believed to have been owned by Anne of Cleves. The book is now in the British Library and contains prayers and devotional texts in Latin. And the Anne of Cleves Dress. This velvet dress, which is now in the Victorian Albert Museum in London, 
something my heroine Bella Salas may have seen when she visited that wonderful museum, you know, right before she traveled through time back to the 16th century, is believed to have been owned by Anne. The dress is embroidered with her coat of arms and is dated to the mid-16th century. We're going to finish this episode with Two-Timing Tudor, an excerpt from Tangled in Tudor Times. It's pretty clear that Anne of Cleves was a lot safer once her marriage was dissolved. Still, it's possible she got her feelings hurt. In Tangled in Tudor Times, Bella Salas feels pretty bad when she hears that her Tudor boyfriend, Will Sainsbury, has plans that don't involve her. A loud snort echoed through the hall. Lettuce licked off her spoon and peered down under the table. Rufus was lying by my feet with his nose on his paws, snoring loudly. She furrowed her brow. I'm surprised Master Sainsbury's dog didn't go to stay at the Dales farm with Daisy when she was at the Priory yesterday. I gave her a quizzical look. Why would Rufus go to stay with the Dales? She raised one blonde eyebrow. I would have thought Daisy was the natural person to care for Master Sainsbury's dog while he's away. I'm sure I heard they, oh no, Lettuce, Ginevra put a warning finger to her lips. I heard that rumor too about Master Sainsbury courting Daisy, but it's a secret. They don't want his uncle in Durham hearing about it. Josiah Sainsbury doesn't approve of his heir marrying a farmer's daughter. I purposely dropped my spoon and took as long as I could under the table, pretending to look for it while I wiped my wet eyes. Geez Louise, on top of this flower woman coming along to out me, it had turned out that Will had a local girlfriend. At least nobody knew that I had been discreetly romancing him. However, Rufus knew that something was wrong. He came over and dropped his nose onto my lap. I put my arms around the collie and hugged him tight. It seemed that the dog would rather stay with me than Daisy Dale. But if my roommate's gossip was true, then his master had made a different choice. Our time together had been nothing more than a summer fling. Will was ready to settle down and marry a nice Tudor girl. Want to hear more about Bella's visit to the Elizabethan era? Tangled in Tudor Times is available at Amazon.com as either an ebook or paperback. Look for Tangled in Tudor Times on Amazon.com by clicking on the description link in your podcast app. Or search Amazon for Tangled in Tudor Times. And if you're wondering about leaving a short review or just clicking the stars that indicate your opinion, please do. Reviews help me move up in the Amazon queue so that more people will see this book. See you in the 16th century.